Welcome to episode 333 of X Lapsed, where we are back with, um, well, the big crossover event of the uh, spring. Are we still in spring? I think we're still in spring. I know I'm still far behind, but uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. I, actually, I think this came out in, in winter still, so I don't know what the hell I'm saying. Let's just hop on in. Today we're discussing X Deaths of Wolverine number 3, which had an April 2022 cover date. The story is called Do or Die. It's not quite ride or die, but, uh, yeah, it's good enough. Uh, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Federico Vicentini, colors Diho Lima, letters VCs Corey Padilla, designs Tom Muller, edits Baumgartner, Basso, White, Sobolski, cover price five bucks. This one went on sale February 23rd of 2022. Now, we open with X-23 and Scout talking a bit about the former's time in the vault. Scout asks how many people Laura killed in there, which uh, doesn't seem to be a question that Laura seems all that keen on answering. She instead asks why Scout isn't off doing wild hunt things. And of course, the wild hunt is where the New Mutants hang out and do their training. We've seen Scout over there for, you know, months and months now. Uh, Scout insists that she would much rather hang out with Laura, which actually is a plot point from New Mutants. She has been trying to connect with her family for a while now, and they're always a little bit too busy for her, but uh, I I guess everything's been uh, ironed over. Laura says she's got to leave. She uh, has got to head back to the Treehouse, which is the X-Men headquarters from the flagship book. Before she can, however, she is stopped by the sudden arrival of a telepathic hologram Charles Xavier. Now, Laura, taken quite off guard by this, wildly lunges at the hologram, claws out. So, um, best case scenario, she kills a fellow Krakoan because she was frightened? Okay. Um, Oh, well. Uh, Hollow Xavier fills Laura's mind with information regarding the Phalanx Wolverine and asks if uh, she might be able to track him down for him. Now, she wonders why the real deal can't do it. Why can't Wolverine track down this Phalanx Wolverine? and it's explained to her that he is currently indisposed. And Xavier also reveals that the current mission that Logan is on might explain why this phalanxy fiend showed up when he did. We end the scene with Scout jumping out of a tree for some reason with her claw out. Uh, She wants to be part of this mission, too. Double-page bread of Roll Call and Cred, our characters are Mora X, Redacted, which is the phalanx Wolverine, Wolverine, which is Laura, X-23, Scout, Charles Xavier, Dolores Ramirez, who is somehow not dead. Uh, I mean, we've seen her a couple of times in Zlato, but uh, Zlato, but she was sniped, right? I, I don't know if it was explained how she isn't dead. I don't know. Our final character is Arnab Shakladar, who we will be uh, getting to know a little bit better as we uh, work our way through. 
Actually, right now. We hop back to comics and we're at the Epiphany Campus in Northern California, where Arnab Chakladar is about to speak to a crowd of techies and press about a new product launch. Now this, if you recall, is the fellow who, you know, I want to say we only saw a hologram of uh, back when Mora was running from the police back in New York City. She entered an Epiphany store, which is basically an Apple store. She encountered some tech concepts about a cloud backup for all human experience. I want to say it was some sort of an implant that recorded everything you'd see and hear, which could and should be compared to the Cerebro backups. It's also our, one of our first tangible bits of post-human technology in the current year. Just as Arnab is about to take the stage, he's approached by Dolores What's-Her-Face from the X-Desk, who, again, is somehow still alive after being sniped. Uh, now, she's been tipped off about a threat to Chakladar's life. Now, Arnab ain't feeling it, and he heads out to speak anyway. Sure enough, the next few pages have Phalanx Wolverine driving up in a stolen police car, then barreling through the windows of the arena where the speech is being held. Alarms begin to sound, and Arnab is ushered out to his waiting escape helicopter. Dolores is still here, for whatever reason. Now, as Arnab and company vamoose, we see the Phalanx Wolverine gutting some Secret Service types inside. Oh, and also, uh, Mora appears to be stowing away on the underside of the chopper. Uh, we are in full-on action movie mode here, which is kind of fitting, since uh, it's here that we get further confirmation that this is basically the Terminator starring Wolverine. Now, this future Wolverine has been sent back to the past to stop her from doing something that will end mutants. Timing is everything and all that, so she assumes that this means that the moment of profundity is upon us, or, or very nearly so. From here, we hop into an info page, and it's a top-secret email from Dolores What's-Her-Face to all points regarding Maura McTaggart. And it feels like we're reading something out of Sage's logbook. And, uh, well, somewhat oddly, this is an email, right? But it loads. Like, on the page, it loads. Like, it takes us through the steps and processes of a login and a database search. Uh, maybe Dolores just cut and pasted from her command prompt? <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, it's all about Mora. It's stuff that we already know, and uh, now I suppose the X-Desk does as well. Back to comics, and we're at Arnab's safe house uh, north of San Francisco, and it, it looks like it's like inside a like a dormant volcano or something. It's like an underground fort or compound. It's, it's very, very bizarre. Anyway, Mora trails behind him, finally confronting him at gunpoint. He says that he'll pay her anything she wants, but, uh, well, that's not why she's doing this. She tells him to turn on the news, and so he does. And what he sees is the Phalanx Wolverine attacking the Epiphany campus. Now, Mora reveals that this Omega Wolverine, which is what I guess we're supposed to be calling him, Despite how confusing that makes the other Zlato's Lado book, where we currently have an Omega Red Wolverine. Uh, okay, uh, Omega Wolverine is there to kill both of them, uh, Chocladar and McTaggart. Uh, and that is because of what they are about to do together. Now, Mora suggests that the only reason that uh, this Omega Wolverine's been sent back to the present is because, well, they were successful in doing the thing that they're going to do. She's confident that they're going to win the day, as it would appear that, in at least one future, they already did. Back to Epiphany for more Secret Service slice and dice. But then, X-23 and Scout show up. Dakin Dakin, too, uh, even though he didn't show up on the roll call. You may suggest that it, you know he's supposed to be a surprise, but 
uh, he's on the cover, so it's <laughs> likely you know just an oversight. Anyway, they all fight for a bit. Also, they talk, which is pretty strange, seeing the you know Omega Terminator Wolverine talking like a regular dude, but he does. Now he tells his kids that uh, he won't hesitate to kill them all, knowing that they can be resurrected. But he warns that this won't always be the case. They won't be able to come back from the dead later. Dakin Dakin uses his sniffer to deduce that this Wolverine-looking dude, well, he's not just a Wolverine-looking dude, it's actually Wolverine from the future. Omega Wolvie retracts his claws and drops to his knees, and he tells the kids that he knows how they all die. From here, we hop back to the lab, or the safe house, I guess, where Arnab creates a new robotic left arm for Mora to replace the Warlockian one she severed last time. Now, Mora is still trying to convince Chocolatar to work with her in creating something that will stop the mutants. And after a bit of hesitation and rumination, he finally comes around to the idea, and he uh, heads over to a table that has a cloth over it. He pulls the cloth back, revealing a robot. Okay, <laughs> maybe this is going to be the Terminator, I don't know. Uh, now, Mora is hopeful that this working relationship, along with Epiphany Tech, will guarantee her an 11th life, which, well, that is something we haven't heard her mention in a little bit. She also says that Arnab compared her to Ada Lovelace, uh, who famously wrote a paper called Can Machines Think? Well, sorta. It, it's a bit more complicated than that, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, from here we go to a mostly blank quote page, and um, it's a quote. From here, we jump into... Ah, hell. X to the third power? X-Men Year 1000 from Powers of X? And we're at the Preserve? You'll remember the Preserve, right? Here, we would see Mora and Logan as the final two living mutants just prior to the post-human Phalanx Ascension dealie. Back in Pox, Mora was here to gain some knowledge, and once she did, Wolverine dutifully killed her to restart the timeline. Now, this was Mora's life six, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be. Well, this X-Men Year 1000 scene appears to be taking place in Mora's life 10. And here, Mora is no longer a mutant, but a post-human herself. And we wrap up with her killing Wolverine, the final mutant. So mutants are eventually wiped out. That's where we leave it. Uh, next episode, either X-Lives number 4 or maybe one of the seemingly endless pile of uh, X-Men Unlimiteds that have been building up on uh, on Marvel Unlimited that I haven't gotten to. I guess we'll see how uh, how I'm feeling when we get there. But uh, yeah, that's where we leave it. So let's, uh, let's talk about it. Now, this uh, kind of escalated, didn't it? I guess Mora's cure has uh, progressed into just flat-out killing all mutants. Um, I guess no longer being one makes her far less uh, sympathetic to them. Now, she's gone from a conflicted and complex character to... I don't know if it's too extreme to say a frothing-at-the-mouth villain, but uh, she's a villain. She's bad. <laughs> she's not a good guy anymore. Uh, well, maybe she never was. We'll talk about that in a bit. I gotta ask, though, is this really the direction that was intended for her? Is this the direction we want to go with her? Like, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the era. And ask some questions here about uh, what was Mora's endgame? What was her goal? Was it to save mutants? Was it to end mutants? Was it just about 100% self-preservation? Was it just all about her? 
Now, it's hard to say, of course, because so many things have changed over the past couple of years, including, you know, at like every level of creative, it seems. Um, I don't know what the original intent for the story was. Um, There are theories online, of course. I, I did look at a few of them. And going from, you know, some of the things that Hickman said in interviews, uh, I mean, this is something that we've been talking about during the uh, the mailbag segment, that the vision for Krakoa has changed. And I don't want to overstate it. I don't want to repeat myself, because, uh, I mean, I repeat myself enough as it is, but initially there was a darkness, a sinisterness to it, and now it's more happy, shiny, you know, utopian. And I don't think that was the original intent. I think that was a conscious decision made a little higher up the food chain, maybe at editorial or marketing. And, and you know, as always, I, I preface with I have absolutely no insider knowledge. Marvel does not acknowledge my existence. I mean, nobody acknowledges my existence, and that's probably the way it ought to be. But these behind-the-scenes changes really affect, uh, like, the entire story. They, they, they affect everything because it really skews or muddles the original intent or motivation of the characters, right? I mean, right now we could say that she's mad at the mutants because she wants vengeance for chopping off her arm and trying to hunt her down and kill her. And maybe that's some of it. I don't know. But that also speaks to self-preservation. You know, if she can if she can get rid of her pursuers in, by any means you know, necessary, well, then she will survive. Let's take it back even further than Hoxpox, right? Let's go pre-Hoxpox where Mora was... She wasn't the lone human ally to the mutants, but she was um, uh, among the more notable, right? And it's something that made her different. She was an admired and respected member of society, a Nobel Prize winner, and she was an outspoken advocate of uh, mutants when that was just not a popular thing to be. And now, it's like she may as well be Bastion's sister. Or Cameron Hodge's niece, or Bolivar Trask's wife. I mean, she has really, really flip-flopped here. Uh, very, very confusing stuff. And again, going back to the original intent for this, for this era and for this, um, you know, Hoxpox landscape, I feel like this would be far less jarring had we, you know, actually seen Mora since Hoxpox. I mean, she was literally off the board for almost two entire years. Hell, she was barely even mentioned. So, like, the very, very, very few scenes that we got of her, they all felt, like, way too abrupt and had a suddenness to them. It was like, okay, we have four pages where we can deal with Mora, so we have to use those four pages, you know? And these changes have to happen, these motivations need to be cemented in, and we'll worry about the details later. And later, well, later didn't come because Hickman left the books, so... Here we are with another vision. Um, and, you know, I think I've said this before, but Zlato, Zlato feels like something that Percy was writing before Hickman finished spilling all the beans in Inferno. And then those beans spilled out a little differently than expected. So there is a, a bit of a disconnect between the two stories here. Maybe Mora's turn was supposed to be better spelled out in Inferno because, I mean, the reveals in Inferno were just as abrupt. And also, hard to reconcile. We talked about this a lot during Inferno Number 4. Um, I mean, why would Mora work toward mutant immortality? At the same time, she was trying to work on a vaccine to end future generations of mutants. Like, mutants are never going to go away if they're immortal. 
And also, where did Krakoa fit into her plan? I mean, there's just a lot of questions there that I don't know that we're going to get answers to, or at least we're not going to get satisfying answers to. But lest I go on an unnecessary tangent about, you know, things I don't know anything about, we'll put a pin in that. <laughs> we'll move on here. Um, going back to, uh, you know, the, the recent Chris Chestnut here, you know, we've been talking a lot about the darker, creepier undertones of Krakoa originally and how they've kind of gone away. Of course, there was that sinisterness and... Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out here is that we saw this, like a seeming corruption of Xavier and Magneto. Uh, they were like the two main known power brokers of the place, right? And that was kind of, you know, part of the horror of Dawn of X, uh, Krakoa, right? We had the two guys in charge who were, you know, they were the, the model and their behaviors were quite unsettling. You know, we've talked about the cultiness of uh, early Krakoa. Um, I mean, we can even look at a story that wound up not really mattering at all, the uh, X-Men plus Fantastic Four, where Xavier just decides one day, hey, Franklin's a mutant, let's go get him. You know, very, very weird and dark undertones here. But now, you know, in the middle of uh, Zlato, Zlato, it pretty much feels like uh, Charles and Eric were the good guys in a way. Because if we stop and think about it, their only sin here was being too trusting of Mora, a character who was ultimately in it for herself and perhaps the true villain of the entire era. Now, whether or not that was always meant to be the case, well, I, I couldn't say, but probably not. Now, does this further the idea that we're softening Krakoa up, making it a less terrifying sort of place? Maybe Krakoa wasn't the problem. Maybe it wasn't, you know, the, the crucible wasn't happening because Krakoa was tampering with people. Maybe it was Mora all along. Mora was the cancer that was rotting the mutant people. And maybe from this point on, everything's going to be utopian and nice and sunshine lollipops and all that stuff. I guess that'll remain to be seen. I'm guessing some folks who are listening to this already know how the, uh, the destiny of Exera is rolling out. I... Cannot speak to any of that just yet. Uh, we are getting... Well, I was going to say we're getting close, but we're not. Uh, actually, with this issue that we covered today, that's two DCBS packages ago that we're done with. So we still have the the current one and then the one that'll be on its way in like a week. So, yeah, we got some catching up to do still. But we're getting there. We are getting there. Uh, now, all of this said, I'm still mostly enjoying the insanity of this. Sure, there are some real head-scratcher moments, and we discussed a few of them just a few moments ago. But, you know, as soon as I saw Mora fitted with that cybernetic arm, I was like, uh-oh. You know, um, I, I kind of saw the direction they were going, and it made the X-Cubed reveal feel a bit more organic. And, I mean, no matter how little I cared for that far-flung future stuff during Pox, I thought this revisit was pretty cool. I mean, it set us up to expect one thing. We were expecting to see a replay of a scene we already read, but it delivered quite the other, and uh, I was uh, I was down for it. Which I suppose I could say for this entire issue and uh, well, this entire event up to this point, it's it's nuts, but I'm here for it. I'm not quite sure what to expect from the rest of it, and uh, boy, I've. Definitely got no idea of what the long-lasting ramifications of it might be. 
Though, I mean, of course, current year comics and long-lasting ramifications are, uh, is oxymoronic the right word? They're opposites, is what I'm trying to say. I just, uh, I'm just not equipped with the vocabulary to eloquently do so. But that's all I got to say about this issue. Let's hop into the mailbag for a quickie here. Uh, this is a note from Evan regarding Phoenix Song Echo number three, which I'm mentioning basically to uh, remind myself that, um, I still have two issues of that to cover. <laughs> and, uh, hopefully I will at some point uh, in the very near future. Now, Evan says, look, I can't tell you how many times that I've diffused a potentially tense or even violent situation by asking if one of the involved parties was my great-great-grandmother. And <laughs> that is, uh, of course, a reference to the time travel gimmick in Phoenix Song Echo, where Maya Lopez is basically tracing her family tree. So we have her in a lot of tense and weird situations in which she asks random people if they are her uh, <laughs> her great great grandmother or something like that, it's it's not it's not as bad as I'm making it sound. It's it's actually not a bad story at all. It's just uh, more of an immature story, and it's not lacking in maturity. I just feel like the uh, the writer might not be quite there yet. I I think they will be, but this one reads uh, kind of amateurish. This is uh, Rebecca Roanhorse, I believe, um, and they, they haven't really found their ear for dialogue just yet. I, I definitely see potential, and I mean, this is all my opinion, and I'm a, I'm a horse's ass, so what do I know? But I, I think there's room for improvement, and I think we'll see it. I think we'll see it. But uh, we will get to those issues, those last two issues of Phoenix Song Echo, hopefully, hopefully pretty soon. They are in the same pile as the... I think we're up to like four Marvel's Voices one-shots we got to cover. So, uh, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. But thank you so much for taking the time to write in, Evan. I really appreciate it. And I also appreciate the reminder that Phoenix Song Echo is uh, something I still need to finish. <laughs> now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, uh, you could do so any any number of ways here, and I would encourage you to uh, to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. The email address is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. And the voicemail hotline is 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90sXmen. And, of course, the audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available anywhere on any of those... How did I put that? I, I haven't said it in a while. Noise aggregation applications? Is that what I say? Something like that. Uh, finally, of course, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's going to do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for spending a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. No more.